Acts chapter 2 tonight. We are considering what it looks like to be a church in action. We are currently in chapter 2 where we are still looking at the day of Pentecost. So last week we took note of how when God is miraculously at work, we aren't to keep it within the walls of our church facility just so we can experience a good church service. But we are meant to go out into the community to proclaim the gospel um, to the lost with effectiveness. And that's the whole reason for being empowered by the Spirit is so that we might be witnesses unto Christ. And as we saw last week, we are to speak the wonderful works of God to a lost and dying world. That's what they were hearing them speak. We have to keep the focus on God. Amen. And I asked the question last week, can we say that we are a church in action? Are you actively being a witness to others? There's a lot of things we discussed, but if you missed it, you can go back and listen. So as we begin tonight, I want to read verses 12 through 46. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken, unto, hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning Him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand, that I should not be moved." Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, and his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David has not ascended into heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So as these Galileans here speak the wonderful works of God, these simple Galileans, remember, these unlearned men, as they are speaking the wonderful works of God in these foreign languages with perfect dialect, we see in verse 12 that all who are present and listening are amazed. You may remember we covered what it means to be amazed while in verse 7, but as a reminder, it means that these men are astounded. They are literally out of their wits. They are beside themselves. They are astounded by what is taking place. And so in their amazement, they're led to ask, what meaneth this? What's going on? How can this be? What do we attribute to this? This doesn't make any sense. And they couldn't offer any logical explanation. And all they really knew is that they didn't know. And as is common, when ignorance is a blow to somebody's pride, people will often turn to criticisms as a way to feel better about themselves. Because some people got to know something about everything. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I know about that, I know about that, I know about that. Do you know about uh, Mary Kay? Oh yeah, I know about that, I know about And And when somebody doesn't know, sometimes they just kind of get offended at that. And so the best way to deal with it in their minds is what will just criticize you. And so to feel better in verse 13, we find others are mocking them and they're throwing out this accusation. These men are full of new wine. I can't explain it, so you must be drunk. This Greek word for new wine, it's unique to this verse. And it, it's the Greek word where we get our English word glucose. This is sweet wine is what it means. It is wine that is most certainly fermented, but it is also indicating to us that this is highly inebriating is what they're talking about. This is something that would definitely get you drunk is what they're accusing them of. They're, they're filled with new wine. And it's interesting that they make that observation, isn't it? Because the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with with the Spirit. And so it's interesting that they even make that connection there. But just as liquor will control a person, so being filled with the Spirit will control a person. These on the day of Pentecost, they were filled, but not with alcohol. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They're being led of the Spirit. And so here we have this same event being observed by all. All these people present, they're all seeing the same thing but there are three different perceptions of what is taking place. One, there is belief. The Galileans, they know what's happening. Peter even says here later on, look, this, what's happening here is this is the promise of the Father. We've got the Holy Ghost. That's what he was saying there in verse 33. And so there's believers here that they understand what's taking place, but then the other two responses we find is that there are some people that are skeptics. What meaneth this? And then we find there are some other people that are critical. You're drunk. And so we find with the same message, the same presentation, two different responses by the lost. 
that's something that's always puzzled me. I, not puzzled, that's not the right word, but I've always been intrigued by the fact that, you know, somebody can preach a message, and, and some of you will take it this way, and some of you take it that way. And, and that's what's happening here. There's two different interpretations. And some are, are hearing the message, and they're concluding, wow, these are the wonderful works of God. Others are hearing it going, all oh, y'all are crazy. And I think it's important that we understand that there are different responses because sometimes I think we can get discouraged by the lack of response when we're witnessing, when we're trying to help somebody along in the faith or trying to lead somebody to Christ. We have to understand there's going to be different reactions. And I don't want you to become discouraged along the way. And so as you present the gospel, just know that you're going to be met with skepticism. And you're going to be met with criticism. But, thank God, you will have those along the way who become receptive to what it is that you are saying and what God wants them to hear. Just because somebody criticizes you or is skeptical, it does not mean that you're doing something wrong. And it doesn't mean that that God is displeased with your presentation. Jesus, He was despised and rejected. And I'm sure He knew what He was doing. Paul had a lot who didn't want to hear from him too. But he also had a lot who did. Some embraced the message, others rejected it, some needed more time. And we just we can't control the response. But we can be faithful to present the wonderful works of God. In Acts 17:32 it says and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, "We'll hear you again on this matter." Some critics, some skeptics. But some said, we'll hear you again. Paul stood before Governor Felix, and he reasoned with him concerning judgment to come. Remember what Felix did? He trembled. That's what the Bible says. But he sent Paul away, and he said, what? When I have a more convenient season for you, I'll call for you again. Maybe he never had a more convenient season. We're we're never told But then Festus, he takes over for Felix. And when Paul stood before King Agrippa, Festus, he just couldn't help himself. He had to speak up and he had to say something to Paul in this loud voice. And he says, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, he's such a better Christian than me. I'd have been like, really? I didn't know I was talking to you, Festus. I could have swore I was talking to Agrippa. But anyway, go ahead. And Agrippa, he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And when Paul eventually made it to Rome, we read in Acts 28, verses 23 and 24, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Acts chapter 18, verses 6 through 8 say, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. He was shaking the dust off of them in a representative way, and said unto them, Your blood be upon your heads. I'm clean. From henceforth I'll go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice 
one that worshipped God, and whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So there's going to be a mixed reception. And we just need to know that going into this, that when we go out there into the world, you're going to have some people that just slam the door on you. You're going to have some that listen. They're going to be skeptical. There's going to be some that are critical. Every now and then you'll get somebody that wants to hear. Amen. And so we just have to keep at it. There's always going to be a mixed reception, but that doesn't mean that we give up. So we have to endure the criticism because criticisms don't change the truth. Romans 3, 3 and 4, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Some people may hate you. Some may make fun of you. Some may think you are crazy. Some may think, some will, what did I write here? Amen. Some may will think about it. Okay, I don't know what that means, but bless God, that may happen to you. Um, And then sometimes some people will receive it. So just stay with it, amen? Sometimes your preaching is not that effective. Just stay with it. Oh, man. I usually catch a lot of errors, but that one was rough. All right, well, in verse 14, Peter stands up. He lifts up his voice, and he asks for them to hearken unto him. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. Peter stands up. Boy, this blesses me. This is the man who, some 50 days earlier, denied his Lord, was ashamed to be associated with him, He cursed and he swore that he didn't know him. And and three times as the onlookers approached him, he said, I I, I don't know him. But isn't it amazing now, Peter's bold. Before, Peter had been ashamed of the Lord. But now, Peter is no longer fearful. And he's no longer ashamed to claim Christ as his own. And it isn't just Peter, but it says Peter stood up with the eleven. And remember, all the disciples had forsaken Jesus. John came back to the cross, but all all of them forsook him and fled when Jesus was arrested and betrayed by Judas Iscariot. But here it says the 11. And so the original 11 and also now would include Matthias who had replaced Judas. And they're they're bold. And, And remember that this is a transitional period, the book of Acts. These apostles, they had, grown to, they had grown into that comfort of having Christ with them for three and a half years, Him being there and in body. And now they have to learn to minister through the power of the Holy Ghost without Jesus physically being present. So really what's taking place here with Peter standing up in these 11 and, and, and all of them, um, I said these men, but for all we know, the women, they're filled too because there was at least 120 of them gathered there. So these people, as they're being filled and they're preaching, it really is amazing what's taking place because now Jesus isn't there bodily. And yet they're standing on their own, so to speak. They're, they're able to 
preach and to teach Christ without Jesus being there as kind of a safety net in person. We know Jesus now is dwelling in them in the person of the Holy Ghost, but they're still learning how all of this works. And so this is really huge what's taking place. And with Peter standing up and with boldness and and preaching, what's changed? Where did this confidence come from? It's the same Peter. But now Peter is under a different influence. Obviously, being filled with the Holy Spirit makes the difference. When we are led of and filled by the Holy Spirit, we will be more bold. I'm just too scared. Maybe you're just not walking in the Spirit enough. I'm not saying there's not going to be fear sometimes. But, you know, when we start walking with God, we, we get more confident. We get more willing to speak. It's when we try to go forth in the power of our flesh that we will be the weakest. And and Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, this isn't all one-sided, as it's possible to be bold and still be in the flesh. (laughs) Some people are just antagonistic. And they revel in standing up before people and Proclaiming loudly, loudly and being cantankerous. People, there's some people, they just love to fight. Amen. The fight is on, no oh Christian soldier. And it's like, what, why, why are you only happy when you're fighting with everybody? I just want to say, chill. So we're not talking about being bold as we would maybe most commonly use the word today, but we're talking about just being confident. In the fact that we have the truth, that we we are using the Bible and we can be bold in that. When we're influenced by the Spirit, we are confident to speak the truth of the truths of God to whoever will listen, whether it's an individual or to a crowd. Oh, I could never get in front of people and, and tell them about Christ. You could. Amen. You could. Well, I just do a lot better with individuals. That may be true. But you could. Everybody's got excuses, it seems. Now, Peter, he begins addressing them in verse 15. These who are skeptical and these who are critics. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day would correspond to 9 a.m. our time. Now, he isn't just saying they're not drunk because it's too early. I don't think that's really the point here and what he's getting at, although that is a general principle that we observe and see. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 says, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Though most drunkenness does take place at night on average, the fact is you can be drunk any hour of the day you want. Typically, those who are drunk in the morning are alcoholics. That's what Proverbs 23 is describing in verses 31 through 35 when it says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. 
And, and then he says this, When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So it is possible to wake up and go ahead and take care of your hangover by having more alcohol. Many are of the opinion, though, that when Peter is stating that these are not drunk, seeing it is but the third hour or 9 a.m., what he is saying is, to these Jews who were there for worship, they would have understood, I believe, that when you were at the, the temple during the day of a feast like this, that you, you abstained from eating and drinking until at least 10 a.m., if not until noon in some cases. And so therefore, I think what Peter is saying here, how can they be drunk seeing how we, we haven't even been able to drink anything yet? That's just my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. So what follows in verses 16 through 36, it's really a great message by Peter, amen? And that's why I wanted to read it tonight. We won't be able to cover this, obviously, but it should amaze us that any of these apostles would now be able to preach with such effectiveness and fill their message with so much of the Word of God that we find here in this message by Peter. And they have this scriptural understanding now. After all their misunderstanding concerning who Jesus was and, and what He had come to do while Jesus was with them, you would think that they would still be ignorant just because it's 50 days later, they shouldn't all of a sudden know the Word of God. It's kind of how I'm seeing this. And listen, these disciples, they had been unbelieving at times. They had been clueless. I'm not saying we would have done better, but even Jesus was, had some moments where He had to upbraid them. And even after He resurrected, He upbraided them and said, why didn't you believe the testimony of the women when they came and told you that I had resurrected? So they had been unbelieving. They had been clueless. Jesus even said to Philip in John 14, 9, Have I been so long time with you and thou hast not yet known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? They couldn't even understand how Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't even understand the necessity of the cross beforehand. I mean, listen, these were, these were folks who were struggling with fundamental doctrine. But now, we find Peter wielding the Word of God like he's been preaching for years and years. This is the same Peter who while on the Mount of Transfiguration got to see the glory of, of Jesus and then Moses and Elijah and he says, hey, why don't we build a tabernacle for, for you, Jesus, and then for Moses and Elijah? And God had to step in, if you will. God overshadowed and God rebuked Peter. This is my beloved son. Hear him. I mean, this is the same Peter. He didn't have it together. Now he's preaching the Word of God. I just find this amazing. These men really did flub the dub, amen? They had some serious doctrinal struggles. They had struggled in their understanding who Jesus really was, what He had come to do. But now, with the presence of the Holy Ghost, they're preaching Christ, and they're using the Bible in the process. Now, the Spirit is giving Peter utterance that we talked about. He's speaking effectively. He's communicating the Word of God effectively by delivering this great sermon. And it's all about Christ. Did you catch that about his message? And, and listen, I believe some of you have probably experienced something similar to what I'm trying to describe that took place with these folks. 
Maybe you've been witnessing to somebody or maybe you were in a situation where there were some gainsayers and you were trying to convince them and, and when all was said and done, you kind of look back over that and you're amazed. You're like, I didn't even really know I knew that many verses. I've been there once or twice and it's just interesting. I remember once, I don't remember the situation, but my wife said afterwards, I didn't know you knew that much of the Bible. I said, I didn't either. So Peter, listen, he, he's now quoting Joel. Do you hear what I said? He's quoting Joel. How many of you are leading people to the Lord saying, let me take you to the book of Joel? <laughs> He's talking about how prophecy is being fulfilled on the spot. I, listen, he didn't have a sermon prepared ahead of time. You know, it wasn't like, well, all right, Lord, when I get filled with the Holy Ghost and the promise comes, I'm going I'm to say all these things. God's just giving it to him here. He's not only talking about prophecy, he's quoting David's writings and he refers to David as a prophet. And he does all of this by relating to them Christ. And all of a sudden, Peter here, he's on a roll. And so ultimately, any preaching that we do, it should be preaching about Christ and Him crucified. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to understand the Word of God, to understand the Scriptures. And it is the Holy Spirit that would guide us, that will guide us into all truth. So we must have the Spirit if we're going to be effective in presenting Christ and preaching Christ to the lost. This is why we say things like we need some Spirit-filled preachers. We need some Spirit-filled believers. We need some Spirit-filled churches. If It's not so we can speak some gibberish. And it's not even really that we can speak a foreign language. Paul's going to address that later in 1 Corinthians. He said, I'd rather speak five words in my, my own language than something that nobody else could understand. And so it's not that we can have some cool thing that we can point to and say, yeah, we're Spirit-filled, but it's so that we can soundly and powerfully preach Christ and point others to Him and let them know that they need a Savior and that we can go to the Bible and we can back it up by verses. Some people just say, well, uh, just give my preacher a call. There's churches that are waffling on who Christ is. They even deny the deity of Christ. They're not Spirit-filled. They might as well change their name to Ichabod Church because the glory is departed. 1 John 2.22 Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. 1 John 4.2 and 3 Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So listen, we need, we need to be Spirit-filled because the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. And they're preaching their doctrine. Unfortunately, it exists in places that say church on it. But they're preaching their doctrine. And so here we are, we're trying to counter that with the, with the truth that no, Jesus is the Christ. He, God did come in the flesh and He did die for us. And so there's a battle that's taking place. And the only way we can effectively proclaim this 
against those that are teaching something else is that we become Spirit-filled. We need to stop being people, listen to me now, we need to stop being people who cannot use the Word of God. Brother Robinson, yesterday he mentioned this at men's prayer, and he said, know the verses. Do you know the verses? We need to be skilled in the Word of God. This means we have to get into the Word of God. Don't be that one who will tell of Christ but can't show people from the Bible how they need to be saved. Oh, I know what you need. You need Christ. But can you take them to the Bible and show them that? Can you show people how to be saved? I believe it's okay for a season in an early Christian's life to not know these things. You didn't know them before. Why would you just all of a sudden have this? But you should not stay in that position for long. But I'm afraid there are some, maybe even in this church, they've been in church for a long time. And they still can't take somebody through the Bible and show them how to be saved. So we need to become well-versed. I thought that was pretty clever, but... uh, (laughs) Is there anybody here tonight, you've been in Christ for years. And if somebody were to come to you and say, can you show me from the Bible where it talks about my need to be saved, why I need to be saved, who Christ is, could you do it? What's amazing about these men in that day was when they used the Scriptures, they only had the Old Testament. And the Bible talks about how Paul would go into these towns and he would reason with them out of the Scriptures. He was using the Old Testament. Last church I was a part of in teaching Sunday school, I, I, I made the point of asking that question, can you take the Old Testament and lead somebody to Christ? They could. Do you know the Bible? I was confronted with that in my first deployment, quote-unquote deployment, to Diego Garcia. But I worked right next to a Jewish guy. And he and I would have these spiritual-type conversations. And um, I was really challenged. Could I take this guy, if, if he had a, a Hebrew Bible, could I use that and show him what his own Bible says about being led to Christ? And that's when I really got perked into seeing Christ in the Old Testament. That pastor had done when I first arrived here and had went deployed when that was going on. It was like God put all that all together for me to realize I don't know what I think I do. And I just wonder if there's people like that here tonight. Man, you could have been in church for 20 years, but have you ever led somebody to Christ? We need to get serious, folks. And to do that, we have to go forward with the power of God upon our lives. Yeah, there's going to be some naysayers along the way. There's going to be some skeptics. There's going to be some critics. Haters got to hate. But Jesus went went through worse than we ever will. So let's stay faithful. Stay faithful to what God has commanded us to do. Let's fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. Let's keep pointing people to Christ. And let's learn the Word of God well enough that we can use it effectively. Because there will be some along the way who will do just like they do later on. What must I do to be saved? Can you answer that? Let's pray.